Aloha, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Friday Night Kunani Patrol. I am your host, Mikuni Moonsayak. In this episode, I interview Alexa Eisenberg. Alexa is a registered dietitian with a master's degree in dietetics. We discuss a lot of great topics like her experience working with the UFC Performance Institute, weight loss and weight gain strategies, and how to have a healthy relationship with food. All of this and so much more, so take out your pen and paper and take some notes. Without further ado, let's get started. Friday night, Kunane Patrol. Aloha, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Friday Night Kunani Patrol, the podcast with the goal of creating a community of optimal human beings. I am your host, Mikuni Munsayak, and today's optimal human being calling all the way from California is Alexa Eisenberg. Alexa, please introduce yourself to the listeners. Thanks so much for having me. First of all, I love that you are a mixed martial artist, and I'm sure we'll get into all stuff UFC, but my name's Alexa. I am a registered dietitian. I also have my master's in dietetics as well. So I went to Wisconsin for school and actually live in Las Vegas now, Um, not California, although I love California and visit quite often, have a lot of family there. Um, So I am uh, RD, MSRD, currently working towards my CSSD. So my certified specialist in sports dietetics credential as well. A lot of experience with uh, sports nutrition. So I worked for the Wisconsin Badger athletic department, collegiate level sports. There I worked football, basketball, hockey, all sorts of team sports, never really had the um, individual sport aspect until I actually got to the UFC. So I worked at the UFC for two years. Um, But before then, I actually, after I graduated, worked in eating disorders. So I worked at an eating disorder clinic. was involved with, you know, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder. I saw a lot of really tough cases, um, but it also kind of sparked my interest to get back into sports nutrition because there were a lot of athletes and over-exercisers in that field. Um, So I moved out to Las Vegas, left everything I knew back in Wisconsin, don't miss the cold by any means, and pursued a career at the UFC. So I worked with the professional athletes for two years Um, I would say I probably interacted with over, I would say close to 75% of the roster in those two years. And then in July, I actually started my private practice. Um, once COVID hit and I had some family stuff going on, I was like, you know what, I'm going to work for myself. I'm going to work from home. So I started a private practice in July, Lux Eisenberg Nutrition, and it is going very well. And I've been doing that ever since. Well, thanks to COVID, you started this private practice and thanks to your private practice, now I was able to follow you and now we were able to meet, so. Yeah, it's great. And I think social media is such a a huge thing and I really wasn't a big social media person before starting my private practice, but that's really how people get to know me and how I get, you know, clients. So it's it's really almost fundamental now to to my business. All of, all of your stuff on TikTok is uh, super educational and very entertaining. So you're doing oh, a thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a former dancer. And that's actually how I got into nutrition because okay. 
I found that when I was eating, you know, McDonald's after practices or really kind of crappy foods for my body, um, I noticed what an impact it had on my performance, my recovery, and just my overall health. So that really is how I started um, getting into the nutrition field. Nice. What kind of dancing? So I did everything really. I did hip hop. I did tap ballet. Um, but I, I kind of flourished with hip hop and went on to do that in college as well. Nice. So, white, white girl got the hip hop moves. That's what's up. I did. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even have them anymore. But the good thing is with TikTok is like I can incorporate a little bit of dancing. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I have a musical theater background too. And I used to do uh, singing, dancing oh, awesome. all throughout high school and stuff. But uh, awesome. enough about me. Let's get into you. So about the UFC. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah. How'd that feel? What did they have you do? What were you responsible for? Yeah, the UFC. Um, I, I mean, it was a dream job. It was I throughout my career in dietetics, I always wanted to get into professional sports. And funny thing is that I never thought I would go to the UFC. I didn't know much about the UFC before I actually started working there. Forrest Griffin was actually in my interview. And he was my coworker for two years. Uh, I didn't even know who he was. So, <laughs> um, so it's pretty funny, but we, I was actually the coordinator. So we have um, Clint Wattenberg, who was the, who is, I guess the um, director. And then we had Charles Stoll, who is the manager. And then myself as a coordinator. So I was actually really involved in the food service side of things. So the collaboration with the kitchen, making sure that the athletes were getting uh, nutritious, adequate meals at the UFC performance Institute. I was involved with a lot of uh, metabolic testing. So we did RMR. Um, we did metabolic efficiency testing. We did body comp testing. And I was really involved on like the forefront and kind of like was on the ground, making sure that the athletes were um, you know, getting their testing done and then sharing their results and then kind of having a game plan for what to do based on where they are in their camp or out of camp. Wow. So you guys weren't collecting data for specific studies or anything? Not for specific studies. Um, maybe probably down the road, they'll probably do some stuff related to that, but it was more just for data for the athlete, but it, but our technology that we had there was so incredible. We had a DEXA, we had a, a you know, a metabolic testing machine. So that was, you know, several thousand. Um, the body comp was, you know, a couple thousand. It's, it's incredible, the technology that they have there. And even like the physical therapy um, area, then there's a strength and conditioning area, there's a sports science area. And since I left, they've actually grown, they have another dietitian that they're bringing on. They're bringing on, I believe, um, another sports science guy. So just a lot of, um, it's really growing, but the demand was so big for the UFC Performance Institute. Cause if you are a signed UFC athlete, you can use the facility for free, free meals, free physical therapy, free Ooh. strength and conditioning. Um, it's like, why doesn't everyone live in Las Vegas? You know? <laughs> so it's, it's pretty it's pretty sounds, sounds cool. like Disneyland for athletes, uh, for combat sports athletes, and even sports nutrition yes. geeks. Sounds like yes. Disneyland. It's it's pretty awesome. Um, so if you're ever, I know you used to live in Las Vegas, but if you're ever back, I highly suggest you know trying to. to get Actually, a visit one of my there. goals is to uh, after this whole MMA career, I'd like to go back to school. I'm not sure exactly what I want to pursue yet because the sports 
nutrition sports science world is so big. Like, I don't know if I want to go into physical therapy or nutrition or like sports science. Like, there's so yeah. many different fields, but I would yeah. love to pursue something and uh, maybe eventually get a job at the UFCPI. That's what I was thinking. Cause yeah. like yeah, I said, that's it's awesome. like freaking Disneyland. It's great. <laughs> and it's, it's really cool because the team is so tight knit. Um, and everything's tied together. You know, if there's athlete who has an injury, then nutrition needs to step in and S and C needs to know how to alter the workouts based on that, you know, that athlete's injury. So everyone is tied together. It's really like an amazing interdisciplinary approach. Um, and we actually came out with a volume two of our, I don't remember what they call it, but it's basically like a, a huge, uh, almost manual workbook type um, information. Uh, what do they call it? I can't remember, but if you look at the FCPI website, it's on there. Um, so that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I've seen a lot of stories from people who are at the UFCPI and they have like the cryo chambers and like these buffets wow. of food and these yeah. giant gyms. And it's like, <laughs> it makes me pretty jealous. cool. It's really awesome. Really yeah. Awesome. So, um, love the job, loved it, but I, I mean, my boyfriend's in the military. Um, I have, you know, some family stuff going on. So it was like really great to be able to work anywhere. So that's why I kind of started pursuing the career of, you know, private practice. Yeah. Awesome. Um, it's great to be an entrepreneur, especially this day and age. Uh, so let's talk before we get into the educational side, like let's talk about how you launched your business and maybe some struggles that you uh, had along the way, some things you learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I kind of started it as a side hustle, maybe a year ago, and then really took off when I left the UFC in July. Um, I think the main thing I had to do was hire a business coach because I was like, I don't even know where to begin. Um, I don't even know how to promote myself on social media. Like the whole sales and marketing aspect mm -hmm. is not something you learn in dietetic school, believe it or not. You know, I didn't know how to sell myself. I didn't know how to, to market myself. I didn't know about reels and TikTok and clubhouse and all these, you know, fancy things that are coming out. So I think that was probably the, the hardest part was just that sales aspect. Um, cause when you work corporate, when you work for somebody, for example, when I was at the UFC, I didn't have to go get my athletes. They came to me. Um, they were brought to me, you know, it's not like I had to go, you know, sell to them. So I think that was probably the hardest part. Um, but learning that along the way, also learning about taxes as a private practice <laughs> entrepreneur, um, learning about, you know, insurance and things that you don't necessarily get those benefits when you're working a corporate job. Um, so there's definitely pros and cons to both, but I love that I can set my own hours. You know, if some, there's an emergency, I can go do that. I can you know, get my nails done in the middle of the day, you know, things like that is, um, really amazing it doesn't nothing beats being your own boss right making your own schedule yeah, your own time exactly yeah, yep that. um yeah i would say you know the scary part is that you know the income isn't set you're not like on a paycheck every two weeks it's like you have to continue to work to make sure that that income is flowing through so yeah but it makes you hustle it makes you accountable because it's like you're not expecting everything that's set. So it makes you more motivated and determined to be like, Hey, we got a, we got numbers to meet in your own head. So. Absolutely. Yeah. That motivation I think is huge when you're an entrepreneur, like you, you got to set your schedule. You can't be, you know, being lazy lying in bed all day. It just isn't 
money is not going to come that way. Something really awesome you said is that you hired a coach because you didn't have that professional experience in business. And so you hired a professional to help you, which is something that I feel that a lot of people struggle with accepting. Like they don't have the uh, emotional maturity to Mm -hmm. bring their ego down and say like, okay, I need help. I need to hire a professional. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know where to begin. Um, and the, the coach that I had started with, and I actually switched now, um, my, my contract was up with her. So now I have a different coach and we're kind of working on some different things. So it's really nice to have different perspectives, but she was a dietitian. Um, she was in clinical dietetics and then she started doing this like side hustle as getting clients online, you know, kind of how I started. And then it just kind of exploded. Um, and she just, you know, kind of taught me all the tactics that she used, and now she teaches other dietitians on how to grow their business. So it seems to be a huge growing field as far as dietitians kind of going in that private practice, like virtual new online nutrition coach space. So you're saying when you went to school, they never taught you how to market yourself and grow your business. They just taught you the, the, nutri- the educational informational side. Yeah. I mean, maybe I took one marketing course, but I think more so it was like the elective, like you could do marketing, you could do this, this, or this, you know, it wasn't, you didn't learn, you didn't learn what you, you know, I know now in school by any means. Interesting. So So. if you were to redesign your dietetics program, like if you were in charge of the curriculum would probably business skills and marketing would be essential on there. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, um, maybe so so when you become a dietitian you have to do an internship so like supervised practice and it's divided in clinical there's food service rotation and then there's kind of like this elective where you pick an area that you really enjoy and i picked sports nutrition which was great but at the same time um i think they should incorporate some type of like business you know marketing course or you know supervised practice where people who are interested going that route can get that experience. But I never thought I was going to be an entrepreneur ever. I was like, I'm going to work for you know, NBA, NFL, you know, never thought, but it's interesting how your dreams can shift, um, especially in this day and age. I think every, like they say, uh, we're always shifting, right? Like our, our cells are always changing every single second and we got to get yeah. time. So exactly uh, enough about the, into the inspirational motivational part. Can we get into the yeah. educational part? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what are some of the most common issues you see when it comes to weight loss? Yes. Um, So right now I primarily work with women, busy women, usually moms looking to lose weight. So that's kind of my niche at the moment. However, the cool thing about nutrition is that your niche can always change and you can always start working with different populations. With that said, I do have some athletes, um, but I think the bottom line with everybody is that when it comes to weight loss, they feel like they need to do first, they want instant gratification and instant results, I would say is probably the biggest thing. you know, everybody has tried these fad diets and they come to me saying like, this doesn't work for me. It works for, you know, short term. It's just not sustainable long-term. And so it's really about, you know, finding something that's going to work for you and you individually based on your goals, your preferences, you know, where you are at your lifestyle and not doing something because it works for somebody else. The biggest issue I see is carb phobic people. (laughs) Um, I saw this a ton with UFC athletes where 
they would come to me, you know, almost full keto and just not recovering properly, not able to push through their workouts. And it's almost like where you got to go to the basics, like that education piece and, you know, carbs are needed for that high intensity exercise. And even if you're not an athlete, carbs are needed for brain function. They're needed for energy levels um, in general. So I really promote um, in, in my practice, balanced plates and really focusing on kind of like that plate method where you incorporate carbs. It doesn't have to be a whole plate of carbs, but at least some, you know, vegetables, fruits, whole grains in your diet um, and not be scared of them because it's not the carbs that are causing you to hold on to the weight. It's, you know, excess of calories. So let's, let's look at the big picture here and not just one macronutrient. I just did a uh, podcast with this other um, online coach who I follow. His name is David Mathis. I don't know if you've heard of him. Okay. Um, I don't think so, but we just did a whole podcast about how we shouldn't demonize uh, carbs. So yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So let, let's explain carbohydrates and, and their function for the body. Cause I think people listening, if they were to hear what carbohydrates do and why we need them, then they might have this shift in their head. Like, okay, carbs aren't that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, carbs, um, your brain actually requires carbs and prefers carbs. Um, and if you don't have them, then your body tries to do another, you know, type of fuel source. And that's usually where your body shifts into ketone bodies for energy. And that is helpful for times, especially, you know, I've seen it in the, the UFC route where, you know, someone's doing low intensity exercise, they want to be burning more fat. Okay. We don't necessarily need to fuel with carbs, but in general, if you are just a, you know, general population person who's just, you know, trying to lose weight, carbs are super, super beneficial, especially for the brain and also just for energy levels in general. Yeah, guys, I, mean, I noticed that when I don't eat carbs, then I start feeling like that brain fog or I feel yeah. like my blood sugar is kind of dropping and I feel irritable. Yeah. Is that, is that a sign of not having enough carbohydrates? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and just overall balancing blood sugar is another, you know, huge thing. We don't want our you know, blood sugar to crash, just like we don't want our, our, um, you know, blood sugar to spike either and drop, which can cause issues as well. We want kind of like this almost like stream or like smooth sailing throughout the day. Um, not these huge spikes and drops throughout the day, which is going to cause a variety of, can cause a variety of issues. So I was always under the impression that if you're a diet, only if you're a diabetic, should you be worried, uh, should you worry about your blood sugar? That's what I used to think when I was younger. And now I'm starting to pay more attention to my blood sugar and trying to keep it stable. Uh, mm -hmm. Perhaps we can, you can educate the people on why we should pay attention to our blood sugar, even if we're not diabetic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so if your blood sugar spikes and when you're like, let's say you eat a, a really large meal or you eat a lot of sugar, your insulin levels are going to spike. And insulin is what gets your, you know, essentially your, your carbohydrates, your sugars into the cell. And so it's spiking because, you know, the sugar needs to get into the cell for energy. So your blood sugar is spiking, but then it's almost like once, once something goes up, something comes down. So it's spiking, but then it crashes. So some people who, you know, eat maybe a really high sugary meal or just a big meal in general can cause an insulin spike. A lot of soda, for example, a lot of really sh condensed sugary foods. 
And then that spike. So like 2 p.m., you're just nap time. You know, that crash, that energy crash happens because that that blood sugar is is rising and then it drops so quickly. Um, For just overall energy balance in general, that's one reason why we really want to stabilize our blood sugars. Um, it can also help with just overall longevity. It can help reduce the risk of developing diabetes, which can actually, um, basically when you have diabetes, your insulin is desensitized, meaning it's not understanding that your blood sugar is high and that it needs to get into the cells and out of the, the blood. Um, and it just becomes desensitized. It's not really like working very well. So we don't want to increase the risk of developing diabetes. So that's another reason why it's super important to, to stabilize our blood sugar. Um, can also be, you know, really, like I said, energy levels, but also just for, for weight loss in general, it can be helpful to stabilize our blood sugar as best we can. Um, insulin is a hormone. So for overall hormone balance, it's just super important that we're balancing our blood sugar throughout the day. So what people are usually doing with their blood sugar is it's regular and then they'll eat a huge meal or something super sugary and then it'll spike like a roller coaster. And then once they're all the way up there and then it'll crash and then what they're going to feel is that, that sluggishness, that lethargy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you guys yes, may not be watching the video. <laughs> if you guys are experiencing that, you guys should be regulating your blood sugar. So what are some tips? Like mm-hmm. what can you tell them uh, on strategies in order to not have those high spikes in order to keep it a slow, steady up and down. Yeah. One thing would be whole grains. Um, so choosing whole grains over like refined grains. So your whole wheat pastas, your whole grain breads, your brown rice over your white rice. Now there are times depending on who you are, where it might be beneficial to have your white rice. For example, if you're an athlete and you're about to go do a competition, you don't want you don't want too much fiber, which is going to be part of your whole grains. If you're general population, you want more whole grains in your diet than um, refined. That's going to stabilize your blood sugar. Basically what's going to happen is um, it's just digested slower. So it's not going to spike as great as something like white rice compared to brown. Um, Another thing would be just increasing fiber in the diet as well. So like your lentils, your beans, um, your fruits and vegetables. I think lentils and like legumes are just like so underrated. They're so great for a carbohydrate source and a protein source and a fiber source they are incredible. Um, but they're underrated these days. I don't know why, but balancing fiber is, um, or eating adequate fiber is huge. And then I would also say just limiting like your sugar sweetened beverages. So like your, you know, regular sodas, or your candies and things like that, that aren't really providing, you know, it's more empty calories. It's, it's just a lot of like condensed sugar that's causing those, those spikes and crashes to, uh, to occur. So for the general population, you're encouraging more whole grains and fiber intake so that you can regulate the blood sugar. But you were saying that for athletes, depending on the timing of their meals, they might need to have the the white rices and the white breads, because I think you're, I think from what I learned something about low GI and high GI carbs, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So go ahead. I'll let you explain uh, that whole concept as far as incorporating those carbs uh, pre-workout for athletes. Yeah. So more so for, um, the carbs, like, especially before competition, we don't want that GI upset. And oh, that's what, what's, why what's GI, what's GI for the people. So gastrointestinal, a fancy term for your, um, digestive system. 
um, so basically we don't want you to, so a lot of times if you have a lot of fiber before your competition, it can cause GI upset. Um, not for everybody, but typically we do want to focus on more, um, like, you know, the white rice, the more of the refined grains and, um, carbohydrates because they because they digest quicker in the bloodstream and they're going to cause less stomach issues correct exactly yep right on that's super informational so for all you fighters i uh, hope you guys aren't eating super high fiber <laughs> meals before your fights or you might have little complications in the bathroom pre-fight exactly <laughs> right <laughs> oh boy okay so we <laughs> talked about weight loss what about um, i have some friends who are struggling with weight gain what are some advice uh, some strategies uh, maybe some plate methods or mindset stuff in order to gain weight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in order to gain weight, you have to be in a calorie surplus, I guess, you know, going back to weight loss, you have to be in a deficit. You have to be, um, eating less calories than your body is expending. And then opposite is you have to be eating more calories than your body is expending in a surplus. Um, what we want to do is, you know, really what we do with, with weight gain people is people looking to, to gain weight is changing the plate slightly. So in a weight loss, what a weight loss plate should look like is half of your plate, you know, primarily vegetables, fourth of your plate, lean proteins, and maybe a fourth of your plate, carbohydrates, ideally whole grains. And that's going to be shifted, um, for, for a calorie surplus or weight gain. We're almost, um, in a lot of meals, you want almost half of your plate to be carbohydrates, some type of like, you know, whole grain ideally, but some type of, of um, complex carbohydrate, meaning your, your pastas, your, your quinoa, your brown rice, your potato, things like that. Um, and then, you know, a little bit more or about a fourth still protein, but maybe a little bit more. And then, you know, not quite as much vegetables. So vegetables are high volume foods, meaning that you can have a lot of them for a very little amount of calories. Great for weight loss, not as great for gaining. Although vegetables are still really important because they have vitamins, minerals, and you need them. But we want to focus on, uh, you know, other foods that are going to provide more calories and um, low volume foods, meaning foods that provide a lot of uh, calories for a little amount, like your avocado, like your oils, uh, like your nuts, your nut butters, things like that. Um, you know, I, I've been, I've worked with a couple people who are trying to gain weight and they're like, I can't even imagine eating, you know, 2,800, 3000 calories a day. And by the end of the time we worked together, they're like, that was so easy. Like just add on another slab of peanut butter, throw in another half of avocado, drizzle more, more olive oil on, you know, your food, things like that. Really simple tactics um, that can really add up, make a huge difference. Um, I would say also just like easy ways to get in food would be like making like a really dense, like protein shake with, you know, a lot of nut butter. Cowboy Cerrone loves avocado. I'll never forget that when I worked with him. <laughs> he, <laughs> like he always put avocado in his smoothie. I was like, that's the weirdest thing ever. He's like, listen, you got to try it. It's so good. And it's actually really, really good. It makes it really smooth and awesome. Um, but just adding more like low volume foods in there. Okay, right on. So for the people who are trying to gain weight, nuts, you still need vegetables because they're essential for my, uh, vitamins and nutrients, but not as much more on carbs. 
and uh, high volume foods like avocados, oils, uh, peanut butters, nut butters, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yep. All right. um, and what I, I would say also with, with either direction you're going, don't make it too drastic. Like if you are, you know, maintaining your weight or if you're losing weight and you're trying to gain weight, don't add, you know, the next day, add another thousand calories and try to catch up to that. Slowly increase hundred calories, you know, each week to get you up to the point where you feel like, okay, my body can handle that. Um, too many people just try to jump the gun because they want those instant results. Mm -hmm. Slow and steady wins the race, Slow either direction you're going. <laughs> I hope, man, I wish people knew more about that. Cause like you said, everyone's too stuck in this instant gratification age and they want everything now. But when it comes to all of your goals, whether it's weight loss, business, relationships, everything, it's slow and steady. Yeah, to. it really is. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about what happens when people try these, these crash diets. Um, what mm -hmm. is the main problems you see? Like what are the same main symptoms people are experiencing when uh, they start these crash diets? Yeah. Yeah. I think the main thing that they're seeing is like, how can I do this long-term? Like it just isn't sustainable long-term for my lifestyle. Um, you know, I see, I see people doing keto and it's like, okay, I'm going out to dinner and there's, you know, all I can have is chicken breast and, you know, a piece of avocado, you know, um, it's just not realistic long-term. And I always tell my clients, like, you shouldn't be miserable in this process. Like it's okay, you know, to eat all foods. It's just a matter of consistency and moderation. So I would say, you know, the biggest thing is it's just not sustainable long-term, but I think that that instant gratification where the weight is starting to come down, by the way, it's not fat loss that's coming off right away, everybody. Just it is water. <laughs> um, so when, for example, in keto, when you, you stop eating carbohydrates, when carbs are stored in the body, a lot of water has to be stored with them in order for them to be able to be stored. So when you don't have carbohydrates in your liver and your muscles, a lot of water is lost with that, meaning that your weight is coming down. But and you see that on the scale, I lost five pounds this week. You did not lose five pounds of fat. <laughs> so um, I would say that's another thing is that they see that instant gratification. But once they, you know, look long term, they're like, okay, you know what? Yeah, maybe I'm losing weight. But the reason you're losing weight is because you're just in a calorie deficit. It's not anything fancy. Uh, you just cut out a whole food group, literally a whole food group. Um, so there's ways to do it where you don't have to, to cut that out with that said though, I'm not anti-keto. I, I think it can work for some people. It can work long-term for some people. Um, but you have to find what works for you and your lifestyle. Don't compare just because it worked for someone else. Um, just like intermittent fasting, I see, oh, okay. So I'm not eating until 1 PM, but these people are like so hungry in the morning. They have brain fog, their energy's low. Uh, their workouts are crappy in the morning because they just don't have any fuel um, or their, their family's going out to brunch or they're going out to brunch. They're like, that's not in my eating window. I can't go out to brunch at 10 a.m. because I don't eat till 1 p.m. So things like that just are not sustainable long-term. So it's really finding, okay, what's your lifestyle like? How can we make this work for you um, for life? How can we, how can I teach you how to eat for life? Awesome. Like I tell people who do intermittent fasting the same thing, like, yeah, if it works for you, cool. I mean, if you really feel productive and at your optimal best and that's good for your lifestyle, then awesome. And that's how you want to control calories. But for me as an athlete and a lot of people who I talk to who are athletes and are uh, concerned about their performance, I tell them, if you want to be optimal, I would 
advise eating three meals a day, three balanced meals a day with some snacks in between. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Do you, do you agree with the same thing? Like having three like meals spaced out throughout the day rather than waiting halfway throughout the day to get all the calories in? Yeah, I mean, I would say that's probably the best approach that I have seen in the research thus far. Um, the, the way intermittent fasting works for people is just you're, you have a smaller window that you're eating, meaning you have less time to eat calories. So you're eating less, but for, especially our, us females who hormones can be all out of whack, we want to make sure that we're balancing them. And that's eating consistently throughout the day, making sure, especially for people of hypothyroidism, which is, you know, that low metabolism, we want to make sure that we're optimizing our metabolism by eating consistently throughout the day. So our body knows, okay, I'm getting food. I'm burning this. I'm getting food. There's this thing called the thermic effect of food, meaning you're actually burning calories just by the food that you're consuming for your digestive system to break everything down. Energy is being released. You're burning calories. So you want to make sure that you're eating consistently. So the body knows, okay, I'm, I'm burning throughout the day. So if you guys want to burn more calories, eat throughout the day regularly so you guys can burn more calories throughout the day. What about, what about, um, obese people, like people who have a lot of extra available energy, um, say they want to cut carbs completely and just do, um, like a vegetarian diet, uh, in the meantime, in order to bring their weight down. Like, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Like in the meantime, meaning like it's a short-term fix, like it's a short-term or- thing, maybe just when they feel a little better about their weight, then they'll start reverting back mm-hmm. to a regular diet. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I think the issue is that these fad diets, it's that's exactly it. It doesn't teach you how to eat for life. Mm. Um, whole 30 or things that are, you know, you get a meal plan. I just posted about this the other day. Like, yes, you can follow that guideline. You can follow the meal plan, but you can only once it's over, then what it's like, okay, people go back to their same eating habits. That's why people tend to you know put that weight back on that they already lost. With obese people, I do this, do the same thing. If you want to go vegetarian, if you want to go vegan, cool. But is it going to work for you long-term? Maybe it will. Um, you want to cut all carbs? We'll try it, but you know, I don't know if it's going to work for you long-term. Um, a lot of these things are unrealistic long-term tactics. That's a really great question to ask. And uh, hopefully people who are listening to this can start asking themselves, like, is this really going to work for me long-term? So they can have that that mindset shift. Um, this question that I think will really be helpful for the people, what is a healthy relationship with food? Yeah. Thanks for asking, or for asking that. Um, that is something that I try to preach a lot with my clients. So really a healthy relationship with food is not thinking that anything is off limits, that there's not good foods and bad foods. It's really that approach that like all foods can fit you know what, I know that um, cookies probably have more sugar and more uh, calories and might not be as good for me, you know, for my health as vegetables, but it's finding that balance. I always talk about finding that um, sweet spot between foods that nourish your body and foods that satisfy. So foods that nourish your body should make up the majority of your diet. It should 80% should be your lean proteins, your whole grains, your fruits and vegetables, your healthy fats, things like that. Um, but you need to keep those fun foods in, in um, your diet. Cause if you don't, most people who try to cut, like, let's say you're cutting out all sugar. All you can think about is sugar. Once you get your hand on an Oreo, you're eating the whole freaking container of Oreos. Right. So it's, it's finding that balance. Um, and I always preach like, getting out of this all or nothing mentality where it doesn't have to be like 
the scarcity mindset that, okay, I have my hand on these, I have my hands on these Oreos. I'm not going to have these Oreos till, you know, next month when I've lost 10 pounds. So I'm going to just eat them all, eat the whole thing. And then I'll get back on track, you know, the next day and not have them again. But then the next weekend happens and then people, you know, go all out. And then Monday, it's like, like that diet starts Monday mentality that we want to just try to really get out of. Um, and I used to be that way too. Like when I was in high school, early college, I was in that same mindset where it's like, okay, diet starts Monday. All right. All right. I do well, you know, a couple of days go by and then I have something that's quote unquote bad overdo it, feel guilty, feel shame, feel bad about myself. It's like, okay, the weekend's here. I'll just continue to eat bad. Start again on Monday. And it's that roller coaster. Um, it's yeah, it's that, that brutal, brutal cycle that I really try to get my um, clients out of. Um, and I think one tactic that really helps my clients is telling yourself you can have the food again, like these Oreos, they're here. I can have them later. I can have them tomorrow. I can buy more the next week. I don't need to eat the whole freaking thing. Um, because I'm not going to have them again. They're quote unquote bad foods. I can enjoy, you know, a couple Oreos and move on with my day. And that's a long-term process is finding that like healthy relationship with food where everything can fit um, with no foods off limits and finding that, that balance really. That's a really common word that I've been hearing from a lot of you smart people who I've been interviewing lately is balance. Uh, <laughs> balance, mm -hmm. as I feel a, a common thing is uh, without balance, then it leads to binging, right? It can. It really can. Because um, if you tell yourself, you know, I'm not eating sweets or I'm not eating a certain food or food group, then all you can think about is, oh, I really want an Oreo, really want an Oreo. And then oh, I'm going to just, I'm going to buy these Oreos at the grocery store. I'm not going to touch them. They're just going to be in my cupboard and then you open it up. And the next thing you know, the next day, the whole thing's gone, you know? So it's really trying to find that balance and, and, and not feeling like you're in that scarcity mindset where it's like, I'm never going to have this food again. This is such a bad food. I shouldn't have it. Just is really trying to find that, um, that balance. Um, I think I heard something like we shouldn't personify foods. Like we shouldn't say that foods are good or bad or attribute any kind of human characteristics to them because they're not human yeah. and they don't, they're not going, they're not out for like to get us. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just kind of need to learn what the effects are and what's happening to it. And then realize that they all foods can fit if, if done in a balanced manner. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think also people get in that mindset where it's like they eat, they eat maybe too much or they eat a bad quote unquote bad food. I'm so bad. I'm so bad that I ate this. Like I'm so ashamed. I'm so bad, but it's like you ate, like we <laughs> have to eat, you know, we have to eat like, otherwise we would die if we didn't eat. Maybe you enjoyed some foods that maybe aren't, you know, as nutritious, but you still have to eat. You're not a bad person for eating these foods. Isn't it like if it causes any kind of anxiety or like if food causes anxiety or stress, is that like mental uh, borderline, like eating disorder? Um, so eating disorder and disordered eating are kind of two separate like realms. Um, mm -hmm. Eating disorder is defined um, and um, there, there has to be a doctor to diagnose. Um, diagnose. That's the word I'm looking for to diagnose as opposed to disordered eating where yes, that disordered eating, um, anxiety around food and even not even around food, maybe like over-exercising or feeling like you have to 
you know, work out a certain amount per day or, um, you know, the scale, having a really poor relationship with the scale. A lot of my clients, like it makes or breaks their day where it's like, I'm up a pound, my day's ruined, or it's like, I'm down a pound. This is the best day ever. Um, so that's kind of that disordered, you know, mindset disordered thinking as well, but eating disorders, um, characterized with a, a bunch of different, um, things like, um, you have to usually have something that, that coincides with the, the eating piece where it's like PTSD mm-hmm. or anxiety or some other type of like diagnosed almost disorder. So a little bit more, it's like almost disordered eating can lead into eating disorders. I see. I think uh, I had disordered eating for sure myself as well. Um, cause I was overtraining, over exercising, and I was always trying to strive to have this super shredded physique and yeah. yeah. And I was like under eating, over training and just still looking in the mirror. Like, why aren't I there yet? Why do I like, I'm training so hard. Why do I not have this mm-hmm. crazy shredded physique yet? And then I kind of realized like, no matter how much I work out, I'm never going to look how I really want to in the mirror. Like it's never going to be enough. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's one thing I really, um, hone in on that with my, my clients currently. So I really focus on like healing the body from the inside out. And before we get to the aesthetic piece, we need to focus on the mental health. Like I need to see where you're at body image wise and your self image before we get to the aesthetic piece, because people, my clients have such poor body image. It's insane. So we really focus on that first before we get to that aesthetic piece and every single day, um, really taking those negative thoughts we have about ourselves and turning them into positives and finding gratitude for our bodies and what our bodies can do, not telling ourselves that we're going to love our body when we get to a certain, um, size or a certain weight. Beautiful gratitude for your bodies, guys. I mean, if you're waking up in the morning, you're breathing, you're functional enough to get up and be on your phone. That's something to be grateful for. Cause a lot of people aren't even breathing. They can't even get out of bed. So man, if people just brought more gratitude in their lives and stopped, uh, themselves and we'd be in a much better place, I think in the world. (laughs) I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing I, I really try to hone in on with my clients is that, that, um, that mental health before we get to any physical, exactly yeah. what you just said. That's another, um, common thing that you smart people keep telling me too, is that the mental, <laughs> the mental aspect is crucial. And if you don't have your mental game down, then you're, everything else is going to suffer. Yep, absolutely. And I think too, with, with just that weight class sport, you know, piece is that I saw so much disordered eating and it's tough because, you know, fight week, you have to almost be, you have to eat disordered. You have to cut your carbs and your salts. And we used to cut fiber when I was at the UFC, you have to cut these things. Um, and like, you know, drink a crazy amount of water, which is disordered, but it's a short term as opposed to finding if that's acute, a short-term thing, or if it's that like chronic long-term disordered eating and trying to distinguish between the two, but it, it's a slippery slope for sure. I just hope that people, I mean, I'm I'm probably, I'm pretty sure it's probably happening. I just hope that not too many people are taking the fighter's approach of weight loss and trying to apply it to like their everyday life, you know? Yeah, (laughs) right. No, for sure. That's, that's so true. It's the thing with, you know, fight week is it's a three day thing. It's not, you know, a long-term process. If they did that, you know, no one could make it, you know, cutting weight over several weeks, but you definitely see a lot of athletes in um, like fight camp, just already cutting their carbs and, and things like that. And like kind of 
trying to prepare for that cut. Like, don't cut your carbs yet. <laughs> yeah, I was doing that. I've definitely made so. a lot of those mistakes along the way. Yeah. So um, let's talk about uh, these, these specific diets. Like what are your, I mean, we already said that uh, intermittent fasting, vegan diets, uh, they're not sustainable long-term. What about, what about carnivore diet? What's your uh, opinion on that? The carnivore? Mm-hmm. Um, I almost think it's more extreme than the keto, which mm-hmm. is kind of, uh, I mean, my, I guess my opinion doesn't, you know, it's, it's your body. You can do what you want with it. I'm just here to guide my clients mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, lead them in a path where they feel like they can do this the rest of their life. But what I would say with the carnivore, um, is that you're missing a lot of like really important nutrients and, and especially macronutrients in your diet. Um, probably a ton of fiber. Um, if you're really only eating meat, <laughs> probably a lot of vitamins and minerals, cause you're not eating fruit. You're not eating a lot of uh, vegetables. So it's really, you know, trying to find that, that balance. Um, but that's what I would say is probably, probably not sustainable long-term, but I'm not you, so I can't, you know, tell that person what to do, but I'm just here to, to guide. It's interesting though, because people, there are a lot of people who are advocating for it and they seem like really gung ho and they are showing that they're making all these improvements and as far as their athletic performance and like, I don't understand yeah. how. <laughs> yeah, and I think too, um, you got to think like, I mean, social media isn't all real. It's everybody's highlights. So maybe underneath the surface, maybe they're eating some carbs before their high intensity workouts. Maybe they're not pushing their body that hard. There is, it's scientifically proven that if you want to hit high intensities, you have to have some type of carbohydrate source. You have to. Um, So, you know, you, to say that it's improving your performance, maybe you're, you know, a a long distance runner. Maybe it's, it could, but if you are, you know, an MMA fighter or some type of athlete that requires high intensity work, you will not be able to hit those high intensities. CrossFit, you know, a lot of examples like that. It's like, you need those carbs. You have to have them. <laughs> yeah. There's no way I could get through a jujitsu session or a Muay Thai mm. session or any kind of sparring sessions no way. while being keto or carnivore. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. No. Absolutely not. <laughs> so let's talk about weighing yourself. Um, I know a lot of people can get a lot of anxiety when they see those numbers on the scale. Do you advise to weigh in every day, maybe just once a week, once a month? What's your opinion on uh, weighing yourself? So it depends on the client. So I have some clients who don't weigh themselves at all. Um, this one in particular, she's a collegiate athlete. Uh, she has a full blown eating disorder. Therefore, I say you don't touch the scale. No. Um, I have some clients who see great benefit weighing every single day. It doesn't affect them mentally. Um, so they weigh every day. I have some clients who don't, you know, aren't, don't have eating disorders and don't weigh at all. Um, some clients who weigh every other day, I would say if you don't have anxiety around the scale, it's probably best to weigh a couple times a week, maybe every other day. Cause if you weigh in once a week, that's great, but weight's going to fluctuate every single day. So if you can get like three points throughout the week, it's going to help see trends over time. I don't think, you know, jumping from Monday to Wednesday is going to be a strong impact, but seeing 
how it's trending throughout the week and kind of getting that average number throughout the week is going to be helpful for people. But if you have any anxiety around the scale, if it makes or breaks your day, I would say we, you know, we either pull back from it for a while mm-hmm. or find other ways to measure success um, and your health journey, you know, how your clothes are fitting, how your body image is, how you feel, how your sleep, stress, um, you know, energy levels are. Mm-hmm. So there's other ways to measure, you know, health um, improvements apart from just what you're, the number you're seeing on the scale. Do you take measurements uh, like circumferences of like the waist? Oh, stuff and- yes. So that's another measurements as well. Um, I leave it up to the client. A lot of people do do measurements. I've also done um, like photos, you know, before and afters. I am kind of against those because I feel like, you know, you can flex your abs two minutes later and you look like a completely different person. Um, You know, there's a lot of those out there, but you know, on social media, like before and after, but this is only 10 (laughs) seconds apart. So Mm -hmm. I don't love the, the photo aspect. I think the measurements are great Mm -hmm. as long as the client is okay mentally. Um, I heard uh, in this one podcast, this guy was talking, Dr. Bill Campbell, are you familiar with Dr. Bill Campbell? Um, runs a sports nutrition lab in Florida. He does a bunch of, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, he was talking about, yeah. uh, he does a uh, skin fold testing, so kind of just measuring skin fold with like your fingers to measure how many inches of fat or do you do yeah. that as well? I do not. Um, one of the reasons I do it is because I am virtual. Mm-hmm. So my practice is virtual. So I can't, you know, the client has to do their own measurements mm-hmm. um, and they could, you know, get a skin fold or whatever, but I don't, um, I've actually had that done on me and it's kind of invasive a little bit and almost like not the best feeling, at least for me. Mm-hmm. So that might be how other people feel too. Um, and I don't even have my clients share their measurements with me. I just ask for the before and after like um, differences. I, see. I don't, you know, I don't need to see where you began, where you ended. Let's just see where those, those um, inches are coming off. Uh, sure. But they do it themselves, obviously, because they're, I'm virtual. So I see for like privacy, comfortability, uh, aspect. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I've heard some things from my friends and they have this myth in their head. Well, they think in their head that, um, they shouldn't eat too soon before bed because it's going to cause more weight gain. What, what is your professional opinion on that eating before bed? So in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter when you eat. Um, but like we had talked about previously, it is, you know, I believe important to spread your meals out throughout the day, just for hormone balance, um, you know, metabolism purposes. But if you have a meal and go right to bed, it's not going to cause you to, you know, hold on to weight or, you know, inability to lose weight by any means. Um, and I find a lot of my clients have that, that phobia feeling. Yeah. That phobia. Um, and some of them will eat like at 6 PM and go to bed at 11. And so they go to bed and their stomach is growling. And so sometimes they wake up in the middle of the night and they're, they're eating, or they're just like, so, so hungry when they wake up, I was like, you, you shouldn't be going to bed, you know, with a growling stomach by any means. Um, so it, it really doesn't matter when your last meal is. It's what really it's counts more. is the, uh, the calorie amount for the day. And if you're in your calorie surplus or, or, um, surplus or deficit depending on what your goals are right exactly yep Mm -hmm. 
And um, I always like to tell people, like, if you guys try to lose weight, you need to prioritize protein because um, I tell them that protein helps keep you full. And if you're full, you're not going to really have as much cravings. Uh, why else should people prioritize protein when they're, well, just in general? Yeah. So prioritizing protein, you hit it on the spot um, for satiety purposes. So it does keep you full for longer. Another um, great thing about protein is when you eat it, like I talked about that thermic effect of food, when you eat protein, um, that's the, the macronutrient that your body actually burns because protein has nitrogen attached to it. And like, it's actually a lot of work for the body to like get rid of that nitrogen. Oh. Um, so that you burn more calories that way. Um, other reasons are, is because when you're, you're in a deficit and you're, you're losing weight, you don't want it to pull from the muscle. You don't want to be losing muscle. And obviously we know that protein helps repair and build muscle and keeps, um, your muscles healthy. So we don't want to lose muscle when we're losing weight. Most of us, we want to lose our fat. So having adequate protein is going to help the body pull from the fat and not the muscle. So I think I heard something like if you eat hundred grams of protein, then you're only getting like 85, or I'm sorry, if you eat hundred calories of protein, you're only getting like 85 because your body spends like 15 mm -hmm. of those calories trying to break it down. Is that about right? Yeah. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's not, you don't absorb, I guess, the full amount. Mm -hmm. um, if I had to give like percentages of total daily calories, I would say 25 to 30% of your calories should probably come from protein. Some people are a little bit less, some people are a little bit more, um, but kind of an ideal, you know, macro range on total calories would be that. And obviously, as far as grams, that's going to vary based on um, the amount of calories that you're consuming for weight loss or weight gain, whichever, but I think like the recommended, like the basic recommended that they talk about is like one gram of protein per pound, not of body weight, but of lean body mass. Does that sound accurate? Yeah. Um, so the, in the nutrition world, we talk about it, it's in kilograms, but the, the minimum amount is 0.8 grams per kilo which is really low. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, with my athletes at the UFC, I usually um, shot for about one gram per uh, pound of protein. Protein is super important. Um, with that said, though, you don't need to be eat, you know, drinking like 20 protein shakes a day and eating, you know, 300 grams of protein, I guess, depending on your size. But for the average person, you don't need to be pounding up protein because anything that's like, not digested, you're just kind of, um, when it's broken down to amino acids, you're just peeing out protein isn't stored in the body. So you're mm -hmm. just peeing out those extra amino acids. And we always say like, when you're eating way past your amount of protein, you need your urine is just very expensive because you have all those amino acids in there. <laughs> so about at least one gram of protein per pound for, for the athletes in order to retain, um, muscle, muscle retention and just for performance for them? Yeah, I would say that's, um, you know, ballpark. It really depends on individual goals mm -hmm. and preferences too, but that's, yeah. I mean, usually for, for general population, for my clients, I shoot for about 30% of total calories from protein. And as far as protein sources, you would recommend definitely more whole foods rather than the protein powders, correct? 
Yeah, so uh, as I think most dietitians preach, we try to focus on the food first approach, supplementation second. Sure. Supplements are exactly what they are, supplements to your diet. Mm -hmm. So whatever you can't get in um, from your diet and in your foods, you can go to, you know, you can go to protein bars, you can go to your protein powders and things like that, but majority of your calories should come from whole foods. Foods, guys. So don't <laughs> rely on the supplements. Go get yourself. Go to the market. Go to the grocery store. Go get you guys sell some real food and fill you guys sell up with some real food. Mm -hmm. So you can get some real. Absolutely. Food. All right. Well, we're kind of running short on time. So do you mind if I ask you about mm -hmm. some more questions? Yeah, go for it. All right. So something that I preach to my clients are seven keys to optimal health, in my opinion. So I want to share them with you, and I want you to comment on them. Add. Um, disagree, agree, whatever, whatever you want. Cool. Okay. So number one is functional breathing. Number two is mindfulness. Yes. Number yes. three is proper sleep. Oh yes. Number four is proper hydration. Yes. Number five mm -hmm. is balanced nutrition. Mm -hmm. Number six is stress management. I was hoping you were going to say that one. <laughs> and number seven is consistent exercise. And they're in that hierarchy because if you notice uh, seven is exercises last because you could be exercising as hard as you want, but if you don't have all that other six stuff in check, then you're never going to really get the real results that you want. So that's absolutely. So what do you think? I love that. Um, I love that the breathing aspect is that's number one, right? That you have. Mm -hmm. Um, I think like just meditation and that mindfulness piece is so, so important. Um, Cause I think, you know, too many people are go, go, go run, run, run. And they don't have that, you know, um, mindfulness mentality. I'm sorry. My dog is barking. Okay. <laughs> um, agree with exercise last. I mean, you can be a couch potato all day and still lose weight. Um, I don't recommend that by any <laughs> means, but you need to make sure all those other things are in check before you get to, um, that exercise piece. I think movement in general, though, is really important. Maybe not structured exercise, but increasing that non-exercise activity, just walking and just moving your body um, as a human, I think is really important. So if you guys are listening to this, take out your pen and paper and write down this word neat, right? Non-exercise yes. activity thermogenesis, correct? Yep. Like basically all the stuff you guys are doing that's not exercise, you know, get up, walk around a little bit and increase your movement so you guys can burn more calories throughout the day and just be more efficient human beings, I think. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But I love those. I think, um, I think those are huge. I mean, what I preach really, those are great. I preach all those. Um, I really preach consistency. I preach moderation, the all foods of fit approach. I preach mindfulness. Um, and I also preach patience. Mm. I think patience is key. Um, just that slow and steady, you know, the turtle's going to win the race in the long term. It's a long-term game. Your health journey is a long-term game. Yeah. Functional breathing has been huge because I've been reading, I'm on my second time reading this book called the oxygen advantage. Um, it's by Patrick McCune and, uh, he talks about the importance of nasal breathing and how too many people are over breathing because he says that, um, carbon dioxide is often viewed as a waste gas, you know? But actually carbon dioxide, you need higher levels of carbon dioxide in your blood to increase oxygenation to the cells, the tissues, the organs. 
And so mm -hmm. we need to increase our tolerance to carbon dioxide by breathing through our nose <clears throat> so that we are not letting out too much carbon dioxide. Because there's something called like the Bohr effect and uh, this blood oxygen disassociation curve saying that carbon dioxide is the catalyst for oxygen to be released from the cells. And like, oh, what? once I heard that, I was like super mind blowing stuff. And I've been practicing yeah. a lot of uh, like, uh, breathing exercises, uh, pre-workout, post-workout for cool downs, and just been overall more mindful of how my breath anchors me to the present moment and how I can use my breath to activate beast mode when I need it, but for the most part, trying to stay calm and analytic with my my, my everyday practice. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And actually, like, right kind of a couple of months before the pandemic hit, um, UFC was starting to incorporate a lot of breath work. Um, they had some really amazing professionals come in and just kind of, and it, you, uh, physical therapy at the UFC PI does this too, where it's just like some athletes just don't know how to breathe. Um, so it's just like teaching that. So it's very, very interesting. But what was the book that you- The said? Oxygen Advantage by Oxygen Patrick Advantage. McCune. Uh, take a peek at that. Yeah, M-C-K-E-O-W-N. Uh, there's this girl who I just interviewed. She's an Oxygen Advantage Master Instructor. She follows you on Instagram. Her name is Melissa Prieto. Yes, I know her. Yeah, you know her personally? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I've met her uh, a couple times. We actually um, crossed paths when I was at the UFC because um, she has some UFC fighters that she works with. Yeah, so she, I just interviewed yeah. her a few episodes ago, and she's an Oxygen Advantage Instructor, Master Instructor. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I've been reading the book, but she's a master instructor. So she's, she really enlightened me about how just so many things as far as the practices for nasal breathing and uh, ways to increase uh, tolerance to carbon dioxide. Did you know that every time you inhale through your nose that there's nitrous oxide that develops in the nasal cavity and that every time you inhale, nitrous oxide goes into the bloodstream and it opens up the blood vessels, allowing for more oxygenation uh, throughout the body. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So like super mind blowing stuff. So if you have the time, cool. uh, I would definitely recommend you download the ebook and check it out because it's just been uh, a game changer as far as not just uh, sport performance, but mindfulness for life. Because like, like it, functional breathing is number one, because no matter what, how much you weigh, what your profession is, what your gender is, everybody breathes. So mm -hmm. everybody can take care and bring their attention to their breath. And I feel like once they bring their attention to their breath, then they can start being more mindful and aware of things like their health. Yes. I love that. Well, that's just my, I'm going to have to check out that book and also chat with Melissa because yeah. I, I know her. Yeah, um, definitely. And talk to her about that too. That's awesome. Okay. Last one before I let you go, what is your opinion? Like, what is optimal human performance to you? I would say for me, um, you know, kind of what we talked about is really encompassing all aspects of health. So your stress, sleep, um, you know, blood work, uh, hormone balance, body image, your mental health. Um, and I think in the grand scheme of things, no matter if you're a professional athlete, if you're a collegiate athlete, if you're general population longevity, is huge. And that's where it's really finding what's going to work for you long-term um, and not hating the process and really finding ways that um, you enjoy the process and have 
a desire to reach your health goals without being miserable. And I think, yeah, and I think that'll look different for everybody, but in the, the grand scheme of things, um, no matter if you're, you know, one of the best athletes in the world or you're just general population, longevity is super important. How can you, you know, optimize yes, performance, but in the grand scheme of things, your longevity. And that's through all those aspects that I, I mentioned, um, and really finding your path, um, to health that's so interesting. and enjoying it. That's the same. It's pretty much the same thing that a lot of the people said too, like that finding your own path. That's, uh, very crucial because no matter if I'm talking to dietitians, artists, uh, fighters, they always say, find what works for you. Mm-hmm. And that is something very powerful. It sounds very simple, but uh, whoever's listening, I hope you guys can find a, maybe a dietitian to work with that works for you. Maybe a, uh, an exercise program that works for you, uh, a diet that works for you, just something specific for you guys that works for you to mm-hmm. keep you happy, to enjoy the process, to get it to where it is that you want to go. Yep. Love that. That was perfect. A perfect summary. Oh boy. Okay. Well, we are way over time. Alexa, thank you so much for all of your wisdom and uh, education that you filled us with. Um, Can you tell us what your um, social medias are so that the listeners can reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you so much for having me as well. I really enjoyed our conversation. So I am at alexaeisenberg.rd. That's A-L-E-X-A. E-I-S-E-N-B-E-R-G dot R-D at, or not at, um, that is my, yeah, my I, social media handle uh, for IG and also my TikTok as well. Really enjoy TikTok these days. <laughs> um, I also have a, a free private Facebook group that I provide nutrition content in there. I go live a couple times a week, recipes, challenges, all sorts of awesome stuff on there. So that is just ask Alexa. So kind of like the Amazon spin, I took that approach. Uh, they stole my name, so I stole their slogan. <laughs> Just ask Alexa, um, health and nutrition group on uh, Facebook. And nutrition. Okay, and any last shout outs before we go? Um, to all my growing community, I think. Um, I started this Instagram at, you know, I was at 100, 200 followers for a while and it's slowly growing. Um, my TikTok game is, is growing very rapidly. Um, you know, next thing I know, I wake up, I'm like, wait, 20,000? What? <laughs> this is so many views, you know, something I'm not used to. But yeah, just my community and support. And I think my current clients um, for sticking with me and seeing amazing results through my program. Awesome. So if you guys are listening and you aren't already following Alexa, go ahead and follow her on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all that good stuff, because she posts really great informational posts that are not just educational, but extremely hilarious at the same time. So <laughs> Thanks. All right. Alexa, thank you so much. This is Mikuni Munsayak signing out. Aloha, ladies and gentlemen. Mahalo for listening to another episode of Friday Night Kunani Patrol. Feel free to follow my journey at Kunani Patrol on Instagram and Mikuni Munsayak on Facebook. Lastly, if you were motivated, inspired, or learned something new from this podcast, please support this show by clicking the Patreon link in the podcast description. 
Even just $1 a month would help support this show of creating content to help you all live your best lives. This is Mikuni Munsayak signing out. Aloha. Friday night, Kunane Patrol.